Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And today is podcast number 143, number 143. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can leave them for us on the comments section of Podbean, or you can email them to me at kb. M-A-K-E-L at AOL.com. K-B-M-A-K-E-L at AOL.com. So, I told you the sellout was coming. Looks kind of like the sellout is stalled. I made that uh, podcast before they announced the particulars of the deal. And, of course, I wasn't too far off. Because it was all pretty obvious. And it appears now the big sticking point, fortunately... They didn't just cave on this. Are the the red flag laws, which are unconstitutional and violate due process. And, you know, it doesn't take a constitutional genius to figure this out. So I can only assume that the gun control turds who are trying to push this nonsense know exactly what they're doing. They know it's not constitutional and they know it's not right. And, uh, you know, I, I can only assume they know better because no one could be stupid enough to um, you know, think that this is going to pass muster. And, you know, this is all part of a deal. Look how they're trying to intimidate the judiciary at, at really almost every level up to and including the Supreme Court. Um, you know, the judiciary is kind of one of the last things and there are some real knuckleheads in that branch of government too. People who have no right or reason to be there. Um, Katinji Brown Jackson being <laughs> probably the first and foremost. But if you think Kagan and Sotomayor are anything other than, you know, imbeciles, um, I don't think you're looking at it too close. But yes, so, you know, we do have some real knuckleheads in the judiciary, but at least it's there and functioning. Uh, that's more than I can say for the presidency, which is, you know, being run by a, a geriatric um, a guy who doesn't even begin to understand uh, what he's doing. And you notice now, I, I said they're, they're trying to rehabilitate Harris. And, you know, that's true. They're trying to rehabilitate her. Um, you know, but she's going to fail, too, because she can't help who she is. No amount of hiding um, is is going to make Harris all of a sudden turn smart. It's not like she's going to take the time and study and become wise. Um, you know, it's the same old, same old. They're in real trouble. They may not have a really good candidate in 2024. Uh, everybody's coming to the realization. Biden is not going to run in 2024. He may say he is. But I think at the last moment, it'll be, you know, courageous Joe, if he's still alive. If he's if he doesn't, you know, kick the bucket between now and then, um, you know, because at, he's at the age where natural causes could happen tomorrow. I mean, you know, his all of a sudden his, you know, heart stops working, his his brain stops working, you know, that, that whole thing. Um, in which case, then you have Harris and they have a much harder they're, they're praying that Biden can stand in there because at least then he could say, I'm not running and it's an open field. If you have Harris who inherits the presidency, 
then it's going to be a lot harder for them to say no to an incumbent. Um, and so they'll be stuck with Harris. They're trying to rehabilitate Harris, but it's not going to happen. It's just not going to work. I saw something on, on uh, I guess it was Fox News, where they're going to try to put Harris in charge of this new Ministry of Truth. The one that, yeah, you know, the one that, where they had the uh, the stupid person who was singing, you know, chitty chitty bang bang songs or whatever that was. Super califragilistic. Yeah. And she had changed the words to be, you know, anti-conservative. You know, really, I mean, where I don't know where they find these people. I do not know where they find these people. But they have obviously, there's no shortage of them because they're all over the place. But the red flag laws are, are creating a problem. Um, I think they'll still get something through. Um, I think if they really, the only two pieces of this thing that makes sense to me is there has to be money to make schools safer, i.e. turn them into the little fortresses that they obviously need to be, number one. And number two, um, you know, let's, let's, when we do a background check on somebody 18 years old, let's, let's go back into the, uh, it's, it's, let's go back into their juvenile history. That shouldn't be sealed. Those are very, very old laws. And, and I think, we can say nowadays that that really shouldn't apply, that somebody's juvenile record shouldn't be sealed. That's just the way that goes. Sorry. Sorry, you know, can't have nice things. So if you make a mistake as juvenile, it's going to stick with you for a while. Because, now, you know why. Ah, uh, came across something really good. Uh, on Podbean, there is a, a podcast called Contra Radio. I've been listening to it. It's actually pretty good. I mean, do I agree with everything? No, but uh, you know, it's pretty good. It's 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 by a guy who's a kind of a firearm slash I don't want to say preparedness, but kind of a tactical. I guess a firearms and a tactical trainer, and uh, pretty interesting. He's got some good opinions, and and definitely some of it's thought provoking. So I've been kind of listening to that. Um, I listen. I sample other podcasts. Frankly. Most of them, you know, you listen to them for three or four episodes. And you say, ah, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I want to do this anymore. So that, that's kind of the way that goes there. Um, there used to be one called the Self-Defense Radio Network. I, I think that's pretty much collapsed. Had a couple of good shows on it, a couple, couple of guys, but I think they've had massive health problems and one of them passed away. And so that's kind of gone. Um, another thing that's uh, happened is there's the Firearms Radio Network, which has a whole bunch of shows. Um, I, 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 some of them I can listen to, some of them I can't. It's really kind of more of an episode by episode. I do listen to occasionally to the Reloading Podcast, but you know, the, the problem with the Reloading Podcast is it's got four or five people on there, and they, they, they have a hard time staying on point, and you know, they really should be talking about, um, you know, a lot of the things that would help reloading instead of how great they are, you know. So anyway, the reloading podcast, um, I can take some of it. I, I'm, I'm actually on their Discord, and that's that's basically a waste of time. So uh, anyway, that's kind of the, the skinny on that. Uh, a couple of the other ones... You know, Vortex Nation sometimes has interesting topics. 
but a lot of times they just don't have command of the information that they're talking about. They're talking about the M1 Garand and you know it's clear they haven't even done a Wikipedia search on the history. You know, haven't even looked it up on Wikipedia to get the the points of the history. I mean, I'm just and you know what are they? Are they a firearms podcast or a hunting podcast? And I don't think they've figured that out. I think they're trying to be both. And that really doesn't work because at least half of the episodes I don't even look at don't even want to you know they don't interest me you know um, what the best whitetail caliber is in Wisconsin I could care less because that's just not where I'm at that's not my thing so and when they do talk about historical weapons it's like you got to bone up on that because you know you it, you owe it to the people who are listening to try to give them the best information you can provide not just sit around and bs um so anyway that's that's kind of how that all is and several of the other ones follow the same way there's there's several other shows that you know they talk about colt and smith and wesson 1917 revolvers and it's clear that they've never really used or shot either one or you know the worst one was um i can't remember which show it was but the had two hosts and they're talking about 22 target pistols and neither of them compete neither of them really own any they're just kind of looking this stuff up on the internet and kind of blabbing about it and i'm like dude you're you're not qualified to really tackle that subject in any meaningful way other than looking it up on the internet and and some of the everybody knows what you see on the internet may or may not be true it may not be exactly the way it is so anyway that's my deal but contra radio pretty good um you know again there's some salesmanship for classes and and things uh there's also uh firearms radio network has a preparedness show that's it's really not a prepper survivalist show it's really more of a self-sufficient lifestyle show which actually i like a lot better um i like that a lot better it's because it's got really good information about you know a lot of the things that you need to do as far as a garden and and chickens all those things that people look at and go uh you know everybody wants to be self-sufficient and not dependent on anybody but when you look at some of the gritty things that you have to deal with it's it's pretty tough so I would, uh, I would, but I would recommend that they're, they're run by, you know, two people who they've also put out, you know, their own fiction and all the rest of this. And, and of course they're selling that, but you know, they are pretty smart. And I, I do think that, uh, you know, we may be going back to a time, you know, back in the 1940s and go back a little bit to the 1930s. Um, everybody had a garden well, I don't want to say everybody because people were living in the city. A lot, if you had the space, people grew gardens to at least get some vegetables or at least get something to help their families eat. And I think we're kind of going back to that a little bit. Um, on the little patch of land that I own, um, the previous owner or someone had planted asparagus. And it kind of comes back. It's pr- it's really easy. And I will tell you, it is the best asparagus I have ever eaten. The flavor is is amazing. 
you know it's absolutely amazing and literally you can pick it in the morning and have it that day for lunch you know that's how fresh it is we've forgotten in our society how good fresh fruit and fresh vegetables are so having a fruit tree having a vegetable garden having you know some of this stuff is really really good and uh, it also you know maybe we need to get out from behind computer screens and and stop watching reality TV and maybe an hour a day gardening in your garden growing food that's good for your children and good for you is better than keeping up with the Kardashians or uh, or desperate housewives um, we're coming to a point where you know we're gonna have to look to ourselves a little bit and if you don't have the stomach to raise and kill your own chickens for food or your own rabbits or and you don't have the room to do any larger animals but you don't have that you don't have really the wherewithal to do that at butchering animals um, at least have a garden at least do that and uh, maybe you can work a deal trading vegetables for protein or something um, I think raising chickens is going to be the next big thing and I think designing coops that can withstand the onslaught of raccoons and some of these other little creatures that like to prey on chickens and eggs is probably going to be a big business so if you've got some skills and you know how to do that um, I think that's going to be very very big business in like the next three to five years um, starting this year starting this year I'll be blunt um, on our land which we don't live on yet I would love to have chickens because you get the eggs and and all that stuff and that's just that's just protein and they just pick that you know the you get it for chicken feed you know I mean you get you get a great supply of eggs for chicken feed so that would be awesome but the physical security of the chickens is a pretty big job because there are a lot of predators out there and a chicken is a pretty good meal and even the eggs are good meals so got to get out after them and uh, that's not as easy that's not as easy as you think they they are uh, relentless when it comes to getting after that so uh, anybody with really good skills it can build really yeah, um, maximum security chicken coops is uh, gonna have a gonna have a lot of business gonna gonna basically uh, be able to make some money okay uh, talking about my little place I've decided I'm gonna build some ranges uh, you know I, I kind of we've had this place for over a year now and of course you know there's a lot of lot of little things that need to be done projects here and there and cleaning out outbuildings and all that kind of stuff but um, I had just set up targets uh, I fortunately own part of a, hi a hillside which I can use as a natural berm and uh, I had a little shack out there which I could use as a range shack unfortunately the targets were kind of next to it so shooting 4570 when the lead bullet would hit the AR500 plate um, the bullet would of course basically shatter and it kind of peppered the side of this building just enough to 
to slightly chip the paint. I had just uh, painted it. So I'm moving the targets at about a 45 degree angle and farther away from that so that this building will no longer be in the danger zone. Um, and I'm going to set, and that's really kind of the pistol range. Uh, why I was shooting a 4570 on there, I can't remember, but I was. Um, so I'm going to move that, move those targets, which is easy. And there, that way the impact area behind the targets will still be my hillside. And I'm going to, I'm going to basically uh, have a good 25, maybe even longer range, 25 yard slash meter, maybe even longer range there. And then I'm, uh, if I go to the other side of my property, I'm still shooting into kind of berm and hillside. I've got a good uh, 200 yard target. And then I also have a uh, really good 400 yard target. So I have a lot of stuff I can do, a lot of options, and I'm going to do that. I'm also going to make myself, like I said, a little jungle walk um, through my pistol range where, you know, you can walk down a trail and engage some some targets. Uh, that's going to be a longer term plan, but that's, that's going to happen. Uh, be able to transition from pistol to, to rifle, you know, and that'll be pretty cool. That'll really, uh, that'd be really nice. So the last thing I was going to blather about is, you know, I did the I told you so segment. That was kind of basically kind of a kind of a tongue in cheek comical thing. Because obviously um, other people have come to the same conclusions I have about a lot of different things. But one of the deals is they're rolling up these foreign fighters in the Ukraine. And I think they've caught three Americans now as and they've got I know they've caught probably half a dozen British and, and other Europeans and such. Um, you know, the, these guys are not facing a very rosy future. And part of that is, part of that is because I think it was in the late 80s, um, you know, as part of the, you know, updating they do the, the Geneva Conventions, uh, they did some prohibitions against foreign mercenaries because they had executive outcomes and, and some of these, you know, before Blackwater kind of companies that were going in and could literally shore up um, a country's armed forces. You know, they could literally do that. It was predominantly in Africa, but a few other places as well. Uh, and so they kind of wanted to to tighten up the restrictions against that behavior, which turns out to be, a, of course, a stupid mistake. And now, you know, people kind of accept military contractors, quote unquote, like Blackwater and a few other people. Um, and I know Blackwater's changed their name a couple times and everything else, but we say Blackwater, everybody knows what we mean. Um, you know they've actually they're they're accepted now you know it's not only do they provide logistics but they can provide diplomatic security and all kinds of other things training you know i mean a couple of companies have been training the saudi national guard and saudi army for decades you know they just provide that you know some of these countries if they're large enough to have an armed forces staff college why well, they usually get you know, one of these companies to come in and set it up and run it for them, you know. So anyway, these guys are all around there and that's what, And but there are prohibitions against mercenaries and 
even though these guys legally joined the Ukrainian armed forces, um, they're going to have these Geneva Convention. It's going to be a real brawl to get all these guys back and out if they've been captured. I'm not even sure it's going to happen. I think it's potentially a really super big mess. So we'll see how that shakes. But you heard it here, and I think you heard it here first. I told you so. Um, it is not any fun over there. It is not an 80s action movie. Uh, going over there does not make you Arnold Schwarzenegger or Chuck Norris. It more makes you like Pee Wee Herman when you're dealing with some of this very brutal and you know these guys are not kidding around and they are playing for keeps they are not kidding around and they're sophisticated too they're so sophisticated they're you know these guys they grab the cell phones and any uh social media post they're getting that they're doing that to ukrainian civilians you know they they basically get into all their social media and say hey this guy you know, he was praising the Ukrainian army. Well, obviously, that makes him an enemy of us in the Donbass. So, therefore, we're going to, you know, beat him up a bit and maybe even deport him to Siberia or someplace. It's, it's, a, it's a harsh, cru it's, a, it's a cruel world out there. And, of course, <clears throat> kind of enough about that, but, you know, you start thinking about these triggered libtards in places like Kenosha any city in 2020 that had the riots people who just tell themselves the lies like you know hands up don't shoot all the rest of this you know if they really had to face this kind of toughness in the real world they just wouldn't be able to do it I mean they they would get stomped I mean they get treated with kid gloves here you know Go, go set up the Chaz in the middle of Moscow and see what happens to you. <laughs> you know, go set up the Chaz in the middle of Kiev and see what happens to you. It's not going to be where they just kind of let you, you know, wander in and out and, and uh, play your little games or whatever. Uh, the reaction would be quite a bit different almost every place in the world. Go to Mexico City and set up the Chaz and see what's going to happen. You know, set up your little autonomous zone in any city in a country where they take, you know, force and, and authority seriously. I think we've kind of ceased it now, but in some of these countries where they take it seriously and see what's going to happen. See what's going to happen. You even saw the Canadians turn into thugs over, over COVID protests. And we should. We should have Operation Free Canada where any Canadian who can get to the U.S. border gets immediate refugee status. And then at a certain point, we just go in and say, Mr. Trudeau, you have to leave. You know, we do our own little Hudson Bay of pigs. And the real Canadians can take their country back. Get it away from the uh, thugs and anarchists that are uh, in charge of it now. So anyway, that's enough rambling about all that um another one is this actually came in as a question but it really should be talked uh, more just in a general way is gun content on youtube dying um you know i'm not really sure about that i know i don't consume very much of it 
anymore. I used to watch quite a bit. Uh, I just, I think it's like any low budget endeavor, I think you reach some sort of a saturation point or a limit. And you say, man, I just, I'm just watching a guy shoot a pistol and telling me it shoots two inch groups as opposed to two and a half inch groups um, that another pistol shoots is just not really where I want to go. Or listening to uninformed opinions from people who've never put a uniform on but now seem to be experts in military weapons. Um, watching their girlfriends shoot military weapons and having and, and and telling everybody what to think about them yeah all that stuff is just needs to I'm not say it needs to go but I just think that it's it's going to start withering away and it's gonna just start um, declining and I think it already has um, I don't really watch in range TV anymore even their Q&A even their Q&A stuff is just really boring now. So, uh, you know, these guys were a flash in the pan for, you know, four or five years. They they ruled it, but I think it's, it's kind of going. Um, and I think YouTube's rules are becoming more and more restrictive. And, you know, clearly I think YouTube would be much more comfortable if there was no gun content on there. That seems to be the direction that they're at least mildly encouraging people to go so I would say that you know if, if I had a crystal ball I would say in two to three years there's no more gun content on YouTube YouTube wants to become a streaming service like Netflix and it's only you know and, and you know the deal about it is they actually have a great thing going because they get all this content for free people make this stuff and then post it there and, and so they get all their content for free it's not like they have to be like Netflix or Amazon Prime and produce their own shows the stuff just uploads to them and really all they have to do is some quality control but again since we don't have real adults in charge of things the quality control turns into censorship and that will drive all the gun content off there uh, other platforms just aren't that popular so it'll be interesting to see how that is if you have let's just throw out numbers if you have a million subscribers on youtube to your gun content channel you move to another platform you're going to have 75,000 subscribers there's something about youtube at this point in time makes it the big the big dog on the block and um you know, because you have a million subscribers here, you may not have a million subscribers over there. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you won't. And you can look at the uh, the biggest podcaster in the country, Joe Rogan, when he signed the Spotify deal and all that and made millions and millions of dollars. Um, you know, the exclusive deal with him. I don't think he's got as many subscribers as he did before. And uh, that's going to be very interesting to watch how this all plays out. But... Yeah, I think YouTube will become a streaming service, and I think, um, you know, gun content will have to find a new home eventually. And, and if they're smart, they're finding a new home. They'll find a new home sooner rather than later. All right, here we go. Let's transition now into my favorite part of the podcast, which is questions and answers. And this came from a colleague at work who found out that I 
I am a fan of semi-automatic Thompsons and he asked me well what do you really like about them they're not fully automatic so you know what do you like about them and how are they any kind of a substitute for the fully automatic version of the Thompson here's what I can say I um, legally SBR both my Thompsons they look the part I mean they are awesome looking and I mean just picking them up so when I, I show them to people it's not the long goofy barrel that we're all used to or everything it's it's like picking up and hefting the actual Thompson which is really pretty cool and I have the uh, you know kind of the 19 I have the 1927 which is the gangster version then I also have the uh, M1 version which is like the the military World War II version so for appearance and photographing and and showing to people it's just like a regular Thompson it's 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 just like the ones that cost thirty or forty thousand dollars and these cost a lot less I I bought them a long time ago and I shopped around when I did so I, I got pretty good deals I think you can probably get one now for about fifteen hundred bucks which is still not bad so with the SBR I basically get Thompson handling I get Thompson appearance and you know it all works out what I don't have is fully automatic capability which you know I cannot legally get in these guns unless uh, I'd have to go through some real hoops become a manufacturer and then they would never be never be transferable and all this so but as SBRs they're a lot of fun now I will tell you if they made a binary trigger for the Thompson if any company out there was smart enough and made one I'd put it I'd put it in it's probably the only gun I would put one in because I think it would uh, um, increase the rapidity of fire enough to get me as close as I could possibly get to an actual Thompson without spending the money that, of course, I don't have for an actual Thompson. So, so if anybody's out there who makes binary triggers, if you made one for the Thompson, I think you would make a lot of moolah because there are a lot of them. There may be not a lot of them out there, but they've been out there for for 40, maybe 50 years. You know, they've been kind of steadily producing these. And, uh, you know, if you had a kind of a drop-in binary trigger, holy cow, you would, you'd make a lot of money. It would be very cool. It, it would really uh, do it. But I, I like them. There's nothing quite like the feel. The, you know, they're, they're really great value. Uh, the 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 machining the the uh, the walnut the finish the fit all of that is just great you know the the f um, one version has the uh, finned barrel you know I mean it's just really nice <clears throat> and uh, I I enjoy them I think they're great I don't shoot them as much as I should but I really do enjoy them so I have a very high opinion of them there are some people who don't and I know there are some models that were kind of goofy. They did, for a short time, produce a 10 millimeter model, which I would be very interested to check that out. Um, that would be very interesting to check out. Uh, they never produced a semi-automatic 38 supermodel. That would be another great um, version to have. Uh, I think... I'm not sure they produced a 9mm model. I don't believe so. I know they produced a 22 long rifle model, which is a waste of time. And, uh, of 
course, 45 ACP, which is the classic caliber that that really everyone thinks of. <clears throat> so, um, you know, the only ones I would stay away from, they did make some versions with aluminum receivers to try to keep the weight down. Um, I have not heard good things about those, but I don't know. I never have really played with them. So um, I'd go with the steel receiver, the whole thing. It's heavy, but it's good. So that's my thing on semi-automatic Thompsons. I think they're a great idea. I think they're they're a lot of fun. And guns should be fun. You know, uh, the people who object to them are... A lot of the people who I've seen object to them are tactic coolers. And it's like, hey, dude, you know, not everything has to be World War Three ready. You know, not everything has to be, I'm, I'm going to parachute into Syria and fight ISIS. Not everything has to be that way. Some guns can be fun. And um, these are examples of guns that, that really are fun. Okay, here's the next question. Uh, we heard in a couple of podcasts what you think about the M5 rifle, but what about the next generation squad weapon, which is in the same caliber? What do you think about that? Well, it, it comes down, it comes down to what you want a squad automatic weapon to be and what you want it to do. I will tell you that, and this may be old think, but I do not want a rifle-based squad automatic weapon. Whether it's AR, AK, I don't care. Uh, I want one that's built from the ground up to be a squad automatic weapon. And that would have some more durability and reliability than a rifle-based platform will normally give you. And that's what they did with the M249. It's kind of a small machine gun. We call it a small squad automatic weapon, but it's a small 5.56 machine gun. The other issue is, what do you want your squad automatic weapon for? I mean, most people know what a squad automatic weapon is, but they don't know what it's for. And there are a couple of prevailing theories. And I can tell you as a rifle company commander, um, not in war, but I was overseas, I had a my boss, the battalion commander, was kind of a guy who came from an administrative background, and he did not command a tactical, you know, rifle company as a, as a captain, so when he was a lieutenant colonel, he kind of had that gap in his knowledge, and he and I got into a, a uh, intellectual discussion about what a squad automatic weapon should be. His theory was, which was kind of the Fort Benning book theory, was that it engages targets from 200 to 400 meters. And that's be, and anything under 200 meters, you engage with rifles. Anything over 400 meters, you engage with machine guns. <clears throat> now, that's a pretty good model. It, it's totally worthless in the real world. But academically, it's a, it's a good model. It briefs well. They can, they can put a you know they can they can basically make slides about it and 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 show all that but it's it's fucking nonsense and i i will tell you why and i will tell you what a squad automatic weapon is really used for in the defense if you're in a defensive position your squad automatic weapon is to give you suppressive and effective fire on targets that are becoming immediate threats it is to increase the firepower of your rifles and your line, your defensive front. And I mean, 
machine guns are going to help too. But that squad automatic weapon is, if you see the enemies massing and they're getting ready to overrun a position or something like that, you hit them with the squad automatic weapon. The squad automatic weapon, if the enemy's maneuvering on your position and they're close, close in, you can use that to suppress them, cease their movement, and then engage them, continue to engage them with that weapon and hopefully other weapons like M203s or which are 40 millimeter grenade launchers or um, you know heavier machine guns, your general purpose machine gun. So the squad automatic weapon does that. It, it gives you this point, the ability to put automatic fire on a specific point close in very quickly. It's a very agile weapon. Okay, and it also supports the maneuver in the offense. It supports the maneuver of your troops by suppressing the enemy. It fires at the enemy so they can't fire back. So your troops can move without being fired upon. Um, and that is another close range deal. That is not, I see the enemy at two to 400 yards. Therefore, you know, I command the squad automatic weapons to start shooting them. If you're in a support by fire position, of course, you're going to use every weapon that you have to support, to suppress the enemy so that another element can maneuver on them. But essentially, it's it's really a squad leaders, and we're talking about a, a, you know, a staff sergeant with maybe a sergeant as an assistant squad leader or, or team leader. Um, it's really those guys it's it's their ace in the hole it's the firepower he has at his immediate command and uh, you know that's that's a really good thing in the old days I'm dating myself when we used to you know roll around in m113s um, we had in each rifle squad we had two automatic riflemen who had m16a1s that were supposed to you'll have to bear with me on this you were supposed to uh, draw a bipod, this flimsy little bipod with this thing. And uh, from there, um, it, it became kind of the little quasi light machine gun just to help the, the fire team, which is about five guys, move. And then you also had a, an M60 machine gunner and another guy with him, a, a ammo bearer, I guess, assistant machine gunner. A guy who get the gets to carry all the wonderful things like extra ammo and the tripod. Uh, you know, you had that in your rifle squad. You had a machine gun, and you had these quote two auto rifles. Well, nobody ever used the auto rifles like they were supposed to because the M16A1 was too light a weapon to do any kind of sustained auto fire, and and basically it was the same M16A1, the exact same rifle that everybody else had, and you know the bipod really didn't help that much. So, so all that kind of went away. Um, so you had two squads, or I'm sorry, you had two fire teams in a squad. Each fire team had an M203. You also had a machine gun team, and then you had everybody else had M16s, M16A1s. And you know that it it was a it worked, but the M60 machine gun was a very heavy weapon. That's a 25 pound weapon. And uh, it was a heavy weapon to to carry around. The ammo for it was heavy. Uh, the tr- you know the tripod and all that. A lot of times I just got left behind because left in the the APC, 
armored personnel carrier because you know unless you're setting up a defensive position yeah that's it's not very useful so if you're you're out uh, maneuvering on foot um, you know that's not going to be very helpful so uh, the next the next iteration was they got rid of the m60s and replaced them with m249s and the m249 was a lot lighter it's in 556 originally it had a couple of features that never really got used <clears throat> one feature was it had a quick change barrel and i think the marines actually did the quick change barrel thing whether they continued with it forever i don't know but they they actually issued spare barrels so you actually needed an assistant gunner for the squad automatic weapon the army elected not to do so um, it also it fed from a nice kind of self-contained 200 round box that had the linked rounds in it but it could also take 30 round magazines in actual practice the 30 round magazines never worked very well in it so nobody ever did that but it was a good gun and it, it did exactly what it was supposed to do the only weakness of the m249 is that when it came to engaging vehicle targets like vehicle borne ieds it didn't do very well because the 556 bullet couldn't do much damage to a car that's moving at 40 miles an hour yeah eventually it'll chew it all up but the 762 nato was a much better solution to that problem the um yeah, so the new squad automatic, but against people, the M249 did exceptionally well. I mean, it was a good, well-liked gun. The other issue was, is the M855 ammo, the green tip ammo, is it good ammo? I personally think it's crappy. I mean, it's good. You can fight a war with it, because we have, and it's fairly successful, but it's not optimal. I personally like in my personal ARs, I shoot mostly 5.56. There's one gun that I shoot, um, the um, longer bullets, 77 grain, because it's got a barrel that will support support barrel twist that will support that and uh, shoots really well. But for me and my thinking, um, I, I think the M249 is a pretty good, pretty good deal, and it's not rifle-based. It's actually a machine gun. This new thing appears to be just a beefed up AR-10, just like the M5 rifle. So I'm not really crazy about it. Um, it again, it's got the same. What do we want it for? Uh, they're kind of babbling this nonsense about body armor and then a thousand yard accuracy. Neither one is really a squad automatic weapon problem. So. It'll be interesting to see how that turns out. So I'm just as dubious. I know less about the next generation squad weapon, and I'm just as dubious that it is the right solution. I, I will say that the uh, the caliber has some potential, but I don't know it's going to perform any better on a vehicle. And you know, frankly, rate of fire is just as important sometimes as power. And uh, I think that uh, they will find that these two new weapons, each of them don't have the rate of fire that is going to be sufficient or optimal for the tactical problems we're going to be presented with. So there.
another one do you like match triggers on weapons like rifles and handguns um, you know frankly I don't uh, there's very few times I think match triggers are worth a hoot um, and that is in specific target guns you want the best trigger you can so therefore you want the optimal trigger and it's amazing you know you'll do really well with it um, bullseye shooting and things like that uh, where you notice trigger pull is when you're trying to do precise shooting so um, precision rifles benefit greatly by them rifles that are designed to shoot in competition usually benefit greatly by them but when it comes to let's just take the AR as an example um, if you were actually in you know trigger pull is the last thing I notice when I'm really if if I'm really using that under pressure I mean the 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 trigger pull is just something I don't notice so I don't really optimize the trigger pull and I like if I pick up one AR I want it to have a similar trigger pull to another AR or if I'm in if I'm in uniform one M16 to another I don't want any surprises so I, I think there's some beauty to having that decent you know the GI trigger is not a bad trigger and there's some real there's some real benefits to having that same thing unless you unless you have some sort of an outlier which has a you know 15 pound trigger pull same thing with a duty automatic pistol yes it would be nice to have the the kind of trigger that I have in my SIG P210 target but if you're actually doing a lot of tactical shooting that's probably not the best trigger to have for that um, even just the regular GI 1911A1 trigger is sufficient you know or the Browning high power trigger or, or whatever else when people get too dogging out on Glocks because of their trigger pull I just say you know what when you're really doing something um, you're not even gonna notice it you're not even gonna notice it when that adrenaline gets gets pumping and going um, the trigger pull is lasting you don't even notice nobody can even tell you how heavy the trigger pull is and I can I can even give you a small anecdote when we did our last match which was the the wild geese Africa match which was just so much fun I, I oh man it was great I used my semi-automatic m3 grease gun and that's got a horrific trigger pull it's you know I can describe how bad it is but just take my word it's got a terrible trigger pull but when I was using it in the match and I had just enough adrenaline going because there was a time limit and all of that I didn't even notice it I didn't even notice it all I was concentrating on was the through the little stingy sights I was I was uh, concentrating on the front sight and you know just going I was more concerned about I was more concerned about the uh, uh, when I ran out of ammo because the uh, the M3 um, semi-automatic does not have a bolt hold open so you know you're out of ammunition when you hear the the horrible ugly click then you change and then you have to charge it again and uh, how you charge an M3 um, A1 is you stick your finger it's got a milled out place in the bolt and you just kind of pull it back um, with your finger you pull the bolt back with your finger so it's it's not a very sophisticated system so but I didn't even notice 
I didn't even notice. All these, a lot of things that are theoretical weaknesses on guns, when you're actually out there using it, you, you don't feel it. How many hunters have told you that when they've shot the trophy buck, they never even felt the recoil of the gun? You know, I, I've heard that over and over and over again. I don't really hunt, but when I did hunt, I don't ever remember the recoil. I, I know the guns did recoil, but I don't really remember it. It was not, it was not the thing. Uh, I mean, and when you think about weapon recoil and you think about trigger pull, um, you know, we we are such big strong beings sometimes that I can I can absorb a thirty odd six recoil and not even feel it because when it comes to you know my frame my build unfortunately my body weight and all these other things I mean I just kind of absorb it, it it's not a big deal and uh, a lot of people who complain about recoil and complain about trigger pulls uh, it's not a big deal the, the difference between a two pound trigger pull and a five pound trigger pull really isn't very much and like I said you get that adrenaline going and you're not going to feel it. So that's what I think about match triggers. Um, anyway, oh, here's another question not really related to guns. What do you think about Kyle Rittenhouse's treatment at these colleges where he applies, gets accepted, then when he announces he's going there, they pull the rug out? Um, I think it's crappy. But I also look at it this way. He ought to just go to a college where he knows that he is going to be okay you know don't go to the big libtard college and think you're going to fit in and people are going to forget about what happened and who you are it's not going to happen and you know so if he went to liberty university or some other very kind of conservative university somewhere he can fit in and people will know what happened but they will have agreed with what the outcome was so it's shitty um <clears throat> it's our cancel culture just trying to follow a guy around and cancel him right out of life you know he's got a right to an education just like anybody else okay what do you know about the thesis 1911a1 the turkish made model 1911a1 um i know that they're pretty attractively priced they seem to be a except for one exception they seem to be a pretty good copy of the 1911a1 they do have a lowered ejection port so you know that just stands right out to me so um, I've already got a couple of I've got the auto ordinance one and I've also got a systemic cult so I don't need another kind of fall night uh, military 1911 I've already got two the Sistema was actually used by Argentina but it's not a US 1911 and of course the auto ordinance is not but those two look looked apart and they got the right eject profiling on the ejection port so i'll stick with those the thesis one though from everything i've read and seen um appears to be a very legitimate copy of a 1911 a1 and i think they're running under 450 bucks so that's not a bad not a bad price in these times uh what do you think about snub nose revolvers for defense uh i think they're a great choice i think most armed confrontations are ended with just fewer rounds than uh, than are, are housed in some small semi-automatics. I think a small snub, snub nose is a great option. They are a little kind of bulky because they do have the cylinder, but um, 
I think they're a great option. And one of the unsung stories, underreported stories, is that the revolver market is coming back. Uh, Kimber makes revolvers. Uh, Ruger has always made revolvers, but they've got s some really nice models out there now. Uh, let's see. There, of course, there's always Smith & Wesson, but Colt is back in the uh, the deal. Three-inch python is pretty cool, man. The three, I know I've been critical of the new python, but the three-inch model would probably be very, very cool. I don't need one, and I won't get one, but the three-inch model would be cool. So they're coming back. Uh, have you heard anything about Keltec in the Ukraine? Answer on that is no. I would assume that when, if they even got there, the Keltec sub 2000s were looked at by people on the ground who decided that they would rather use other options. And I would be very surprised if they're doing anything other than the uh, the most pedestrian armed kind of work in the rearmost part of the country so that's you know i would i would be surprised if i saw them anywhere near where the uh where the front lines are okay is cast dying like zoot shooting i don't really know um i do follow a couple of groups because i i just kind of do um i think that there is some there's a demographic problem with cowboy action shooting that younger people aren't getting into it. So it's continue, continually aging, and we're starting to see it age out. So I think, yeah, in five years, what's it going to look like? I think it's going to look very different. Not very different, but it'll be a lot smaller than it is now. And a couple of things like Wild Bunch never really... They caught on, but it, it didn't invigorate the sport the way they, they thought it would. Um, if they were smart, they would, and, and some clubs are actually almost kind of doing it. Um, they're trying to become a little bit like zoot shooting. Um, you know, they have matches where you can use military rifles up to 1945 and things, but um, might be too little too late. Um, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. What are some gun fads that you can think of, past and present? Okay. Uh, one gun fad, Packmire grips. Just the way it is, Packmire grips. They were the they seventies and eighties, even into the nineties, they were the they were considered super cool and Hogue copied them basically. And even some factory guns came with them. It was a mistake, but they did. So those guns, yeah, the the Packmire grips, they they're good grips. There's nothing wrong with them. Um, they're just out of fashion. They're ugly, and they really, in my opinion, aren't that superior to um, to factory grips. So you know they are. Uh, scout rifles, you know, we've talked about them before. That's a fad. They're going away. Nobody. I don't even think Savage makes their scout rifle anymore, and I don't even think. I, don't, I haven't seen the Steyr one in several years. There was a. Uh, who made it? There was the Gunsight Scout. Ruger made a Gunsight Scout, I think, for a while. And haven't seen that either. Most people don't want the all-around rifle. They want a rifle specific to the task they have at hand. So um, that was it. And we've also talked about Scout rifles. Was it supposed to be tactical or was it a sporting rifle? And nobody, people kind of 
would would uh, wink their eye and say, well, it's a hunting rifle, but it's got these tactical applications. And yeah, okay. So scout rifles. Um, I think the M1A is a fad. You know, the semi-automatic M14. That used to be, when I was starting out, that was the rifle to have. And I mean, it was given all these mythic qualities and everything else. Over the years, it has just become an also-ran, and now it's the point where it's just kind of gets made fun of. So the, the M1A, it's, its time has, has come and gone. It's a magnificent weapon. I, I think they're, they're magnificent, but they're, they're certainly out of fashion now, which means that they're out of fads. They are a fad. Uh, the Super Magnum. You know, Super Magnums were a big deal, and I think that kind of crested with the uh, 500 Smith & Wesson. Um, nobody's really turning out anything now. They're expensive, they're heavy, and they have punishing recoil, and most people don't need that. Most people don't need all three of those. That's not something that people are really looking for. So, yeah, they're kind of, uh, they'll always be around, but they're never going to be tremendously popular. Uh, zombie anything, you know, the zombie gun, the zombie grips, the zombie scopes, the zombie ammo, all of that, that green zombie crud, that's, that's all long gone. That was a fad for about two years and then it's gone. They even made an EOTech with like the zombie reticle, you know, I mean, how ridiculous. Imagine having one of those today, you know. Uh, commemorative guns, remember how they used to, you know, they would get just a common gun model and embellish it up, you know, the Battle of Iwo Jima Thompson, you know, and on and on, the Little Big Horn, you know, 1873, you know, Colt 1873, on and on and on, those things never appreciated in value, and in fact, they, they, you know, yeah, it was pretty much a, pretty much a joke, so those things are pretty much gone. Um, still a few of those things kind of kicking around, but not really as much as you would think. So yeah, commemorative guns are, they're a bummer. They're gone. Uh, okay, are you into old school military vehicles? Well, I, I like them. Um, I don't own any. I will never own any. Um, I, I find them interesting. They're good pieces of history and... You know, if people want to restore those things, I think that's a great thing. But for me, it's it's not. I'm not that mechanically inclined. I don't like the vehicles that much. I find them uncomfortable. I find them very basic. Um, my the World War II Jeep, it became an icon, but but basically it was a cheap solution to just. It was a, it was a cheap quarter ton utility truck and. You know, you can make them look cool by mounting mounting things on them and, and all that, but it's still a rough riding, uncomfortable, for me personally, I'll let the people who really love those things have them. I don't. Um, I've, I'm frankly, am much more interested in, I like the Dodge Command cars. Um, they're no more comfortable, but they're, they're very interesting looking to me. I like armored vehicles, but I couldn't imagine the, the practicality of owning some of that stuff is you know, just way beyond it. It's, it's like the semi-automatic M250 caliber. I think they call those the M3s. Um, yeah, it'd be really cool to have, but when you look at the practicality of owning it, it, it really, it loses its appeal very, very quickly. So 
that is it for this edition of Old School Guns. Again, if you have any questions or comments, leave them for us in the comments section on Podbean. Or you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. That's kbmakel at aol.com. But until next time, this is Old School Guns, out.